All right, Pittsburgh, this is the Death Star here, and you are listening to MMA Fancast. Tune in. Oh, baby, what time is it? You're listening to MMA Fancast. Here are your hosts, Jim Mooney and Luke Payson. Welcome to the show. Today we are joined by Jimmy the Brick Flick. Jimmy, welcome. Hey, thank you, sir. Hey, it's great to have you on the program. Uh, You're going to be fighting for Dana White Contender Series September 1st, so we're just under a week. We're about six days out. How's everything looking this close to the fight? Hey, man, it's looking good. All the hard work has been done. Uh, We're out in Vegas already. They flew us out yesterday to get started on the media. I took the fight four weeks out, so had to get all my medicals and everything done back home, and they flew me out here yesterday, and uh, we've been quarantined for two days and uh, COVID-free, so uh, everything's good, man. Absolutely. Now, I've had some other people on for the Dana White Contender Series, and they haven't flown out quite as early as you. Some of them have flown in Saturday or even Sunday. Is this earlier because of your medicals and your situation being on last minute? Yes. Once I got all my medicals and stuff done, it took a while. They didn't have enough. It wasn't worth it for them to fly me out, fly me back home, and then fly me back again. So uh, I got my coach, Leo, from Forza Combat Sports with me, and we flew out here a week early. And uh, I, I actually enjoy that and get, get adapted to the altitude a little better, a little sooner. Um, got some good work in today, and uh, we'll just be able to put this work in for the next week until fight night. Absolutely. And you mentioned – um, jumping on this uh, with four weeks to go. Um, I saw that you had fought, last fought for LFA July 24th, which is just a little over a month ago. So explain to me how that fight came about and when exactly did you figure that you were going to go right from that fight to this fight? Uh, yeah, we fought uh, July 24th in Sioux Falls, South Dakota for the LFA 125 title. Mm-hmm. And we did work in 38 seconds. And uh had the second fastest win in LFA history, and I called for my shot. Uh, I thought maybe I would get the UFC, but unfortunately, JB Bice had some uh, visa issues. They called me 10 days after my fight and asked if I wanted to step up and fight 6-0 Nate Smith on the Tuesday Night Contenders, and I told him to send that contract over. Let's get it signed, and let's make it happen. Absolutely. You have a, you have a very impressive record of 14 and five impressive not only because of all the wins but also because that's a lot of experience 19 pro fights compared to nate smith's six uh you've been a pro since 2010 and you fought several amateur fights before that so you've been uh, a bit of a long long build so what's your 10-year pro career been like as a journey uh it's been an amazing journey uh my first loss was to UFC vet Will Capazano. Uh, it set me back when I was 6-0, and and I fought for the Legacy Championship uh, or Legacy Fighting Championship before they merged with uh, RFA, and uh, that was my first loss, and uh, I've been battling my way back. I've uh, been going back and forth between 135 and 125 because we didn't know what the UFC was going to do. But uh, if you look at my record, I have an opponent combined record of 140 wins and 69 losses. So I fight some of the best opponents around. I don't pick and choose. And uh, 
I'm more than ready for this opportunity. Well, on that record number, I had not added up all your opponents, but I did check to see that your last opponent that you fought, obviously, for the belt for LFA uh, was a 10-1 and opponent. You can't really get a more dominant. I mean, you are fighting the best guys out there, uh, which is incredible. And that also makes a big difference in the UFC because there's plenty of regional promotions that would have somebody with your record fighting a guy that was like three and eight or something like that. Um, you know, just saying that that's been out there. Um, and when you said you weren't sure what that UFC would do with 125 or 135, did you mean when it was rumored that the UFC would be getting rid of the flyweight division or do you mean you specifically? No, the flyweight division. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on a two fight win streak at 125 and then uh, they were talking about cutting the flyweight division and we didn't know what was going to happen. I moved back up to 135. I took a, ro- a loss to Ray Rodriguez, which was on an eight-fight win streak, uh, was 13-5. and five. Uh, So even at 135, my last three opponents were Chris Gutierrez, who's 3-1-1 one and one in the UFC, Johnny Bedford, which uh, has over 40 professional fights, and Ray Rodriguez, which was coming up on 20. So, and at 125, uh, in the past couple of years, I haven't been touched. I've finished all my opponents, and I'm coming off of a 38-second victory over Greg Fisher, who was 10-1 and one and never been finished. So uh, I-, I love the flyweight division. That's where I belong. And Tuesday night, I'm going to show the world that I'm the best flyweight outside the UFC or the best flyweight coming into the UFC. Well, one thing to uh, bring up is that you, you've mentioned a couple times all your opponents that you fought, including, of course, Johnny Bedford. I had that written down because he's a name that had fought in the UFC. He's had a ton of fights. He's now in bare-knuckle boxing, I guess, doing a lot. I think he's 6-0 in bare-knuckle boxing. So um, all the best wishes to him. Um, how important is it? You, you, you seem to take a pride. You seem to take pride in – um, your opponents, you know, you know, their records, you know, who they fought for. Um, how much of that gives you a boost when you go after them? Well, uh, for example, I mean, we're fighting Nate Smith. That's six and zero. Oh, but if we look up his six opponents, we, we don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. So um, I fought the best of the best. And uh, that is a confidence booster going into this fight and going into every fight. Even Greg Fisher, though, if you look up Greg Fisher, his last of four opponents were top-notch opponents. So uh, that was a tough opponent I fought, and then I went out there and finished him in 38 seconds. So um, that's why I do my research. I let people know that uh, I'm no joke. So if you look at my five losses, uh, it's five losses to two or two two good opponents. So uh, I fight the best of the best, and. Uh, I'm ready to prove myself Tuesday night and fight the best in the UFC. Absolutely. Now, you've mentioned your 38-second win a few times, and obviously keep mentioning it. That's fantastic. You won by guillotine choke. Um, walk us through kind of the the setup of, I'm assuming he shot to take it down or something like that. No, what was the setup in 38 seconds to get a guillotine choke? No, I won by head and arm choke. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, head and arm choke. Yeah. And uh, I actually took him down, and uh, as uh, he posted on all fours, I went to go hit the head and arm from my back, and he rolled over to try to roll out and get his arm out, and he put me right on the side I needed to be on, 
and we finished the head and arm in 38 seconds and it was the second fastest win in LFA history. That is impressive. I think I was getting confused with your Johnny Bedford. I believe you finished Johnny with the guillotine, right? Yeah, a modified guillotine. They also called a ninja choke. But okay. uh, yeah, I have multiple submissions from armbar, triangle, the Von Flick. Uh, some people call it the Von Flu choke, but I call it the Von Flick choke because I got four wins by it. And wow. uh, so I, I'm an amazing jiu-jitsu pract practitioner. And uh, I'm also love wrestling. So, and I've been working on my stand up as well at Forza Combat Sports. And uh, that's why I got the nickname The Brick, is because my game's solid all over. That is a great nickname. It works perfectly. I don't think there's another uh, nickname like that in the UFC. It rhymes perfectly with your name. It, it's a perfect uh, building brick, you know. But you mentioned, obviously, your submissions out of your 14 uh, wins. Ten of them are by submissions, I don't have to tell you. And only one of them on Tapology is listed as the Von Flu or now the Von Foot Choke. Several of them are just listed as subs. And I was going to ask you what some of those mysterious sub wins were where they didn't have um, a specification. You've already mentioned them to us. But not to – we don't want to take shots at Tapology because they do have you ranked first in Southwest um, among flyweights, pro flyweights, and second overall in the entire United States. So, obviously, a lot of love there. I think a lot of it because of the opponents you fought, you know. And so that's great. So, um, when you look at the Dana White Contender Series – um, how much have you been watching this season or previous seasons? And what has that been kind of running through your mind? And what has that been showing you about some of the things that happened on the Dana White Contender Series and some stuff that you might want to specifically sort of keep in mind? Hi, man. I'm a finisher through and through, and that's what Dana likes to see. I actually have 12 of my 14 wins by submission as a professional. Uh, I've only been to the scorecards twice. And that was to the same guy twice. I fought Humberto Delion. Uh, they brought me in to lose to him in Bellator 20 when I was 0-0. And he was 6-2 as a professional. So I started out my career with a tough fight. I beat him by unanimous decision. I went on to fight him again early in my career for a 125 title in a regional company called IXFA. And uh, Chuck the Iceman Liddell put that title around my waist. So uh, it, it made it amazing. And, uh, yeah, I've been watching the Tuesday Night Contender for a while, and I'm also coming off a fight with no fans. So coming into this fight with no fans, I think that works out to my favor. And uh, this will be my third fight in 2020, so I'm more than ready. I've stayed active, and the pandemic has not held me back a bit. Well, and given, given the fact that I've been interviewing um, a good number of fighters with Dana White Contender Series, I'm impressed with how busy you've been fight-wise in 2020. As you know, the pandemic, a lot of guys are training, um, maybe not as regularly as they would be. Obviously, you've kept that up. And you mentioned that the most recent fight you had, kind of you fought in an empty arena. What other things did they kind of tweak because of COVID? And how more mentally prepared are you not only to fight in an empty arena, but go through some of the hoops that COVID has uh, caused? Uh, well, from training to not being able to go out in public so much, uh, right now here out in Vegas, uh, I've been locked down for two days, um, but I'm able to make sure I still get the training in. 
my coach came with me while we can get mitt work in. Uh, I was outside running around the hotel earlier. Uh, tomorrow they'll be moving me to a hotel where I will have access to a gym and to a sauna. So that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, nothing's held me back a bit. Uh, I'm a fighter through and through. And no matter what, I'm going to make sure I get that work in and I'm going to show up and fight. And when I fight, I like to do one thing and that's finish. Yeah. Talk, talk to me a little bit about your wrestling and BJJ background. Obviously, just looking at your record, even though uh, they had you as 10 wins by subs and it was actually 12 out of the 14. So even more. Um, how did you make that transition? Tell me about your background in wrestling and jiu-jitsu and how did you make that transition to MMA? What made you want to do MMA pure, maybe just staying in pure BJJ? Uh, I started wrestling when I was three years old as a kid. They used to tape my singlet up in the back because I was so small. Um, 37 pounds was the smallest weight class, and I was like 33. So I had two older brothers that was in wrestling. So my dad got me in young. I got beat up a lot by my older brothers, and I had two older sisters. Used to claw me up pretty good. So, uh, so uh, I've been through and through since I was a kid. And at 17, I started being dumb and not taking school seriously. I ended up dropping out of school and my dad moved me down to Corpus Christi, Texas. And that's how I got started in the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I fell in love with it. Uh, most wrestlers don't fall in love with Jiu Jitsu. Uh, I'm good on my back. I'm good on my, on top. And uh, I, that's what I love to do. And uh, I love Jiu Jitsu. I'm a brown belt. I've been a brown belt for eight years. Uh, I should already have my black, but I don't live by my jiu-jitsu coach no more. And uh, we're working on that with a new coach. And uh, I'll be earning my black here soon. But uh, besides that, I just – I love the sport. I love learning. And uh, I never gave it up. I even had some world-class wrestlers come in and work for me – work with me for this fight because uh, I'm fighting a junior Olympian, Nate Smith which he has a lot of Greco-Roman experience. He traveled with the Junior Olympic team. So uh, we're going to be more than ready for this opportunity. Well, it's great to see how seriously you train and, and how you really do game plan and kind of have a very, I would say, an appreciation for your opponents. That's something that really shines through because you know something that a lot of guys maybe outside of the UFC don't know, which is the more you appreciate your opponents, the better opponents you get the more your stock rises, which obviously you've really targeted some of the better uh, fighters out there, you know, not, not just trying to badge your record, which is incredible. Let's talk a little bit of technique, if you don't mind, not, not game planning. Just You mentioned in your LFA fight that you were attempting to hit um, from your guard the side triangle choke. Do you, do you have a guess? Um, I, I think I know because I recently looked it up, but do you have a guess of how many successful side triangle chokes from the bottom? Now, you didn't finish it from the bottom, but let's say you had, have been finished in the UFC. Uh, I would say very few. Uh, my guess would be probably about three. And uh, You got it. It's three. Exactly three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, what I, my plan was is uh, when I was going to go to my back, if you watch the fight, I was going to fall to my back with it. And uh, most jujitsu practitioners will know if you fall to a butterfly uh, with one foot in and one foot out, you can sweep them, especially when you have the head and arm because they have no post to stop it. 
and that's what I do in the gym a lot. And that was my game plan. Uh, Greg Fisher had a good plan to try to get his arm out and he was going to try to roll out. But uh, I got an anaconda grip. And when he rolled over and tried to get the arm out, the arm didn't come out. And he rode me, rolled me right over to the side I needed to be on. And it, we just finished the choke faster. Right, absolutely. And that actually reminds me, that's, I mean, I would say most of the time, side triangle chokes, obviously all but three times have been finished um, from the top position, or I would say top side position because of it. But, uh, but a choke that the Diaz is made famous in a unique position was finishing the guillotine, or I should also say team alpha male. They tend to try to finish the guillotine from mount as opposed to underneath. You know, they roll the guy over um have you have you ever hit that in I, I mean i'm sure you have in practice but have you ever hit sort of a modified guillotine you mentioned that and sort of what type of unique um other submissions have you hit uh the one on johnny bedford it was like a uh, reverse rear naked choke where you come up under they call it the ninja choke as well and i rolled him right over with it he actually went to go tap but the ref didn't see it, and that's why he went to sleep, and I winded up on top with it. Um, but as an amateur, I've finished all kinds of submissions as well. But uh, it doesn't matter what submission it is. If it's there, I'll go for it. Uh, most of the time, it's position before submission. But uh, for me, it's killed or be killed. So when I see something, I go for it, man. And uh, the faster we finish the fight, the faster we get paid. Don't matter if we're in there for three seconds or we're in there for 30 minutes. We get paid the same amount of money when we win a fight. Absolutely. And the more impressively you finish, particularly with slick, uh, maybe fun, crazy submissions that most people don't see. Uh, a lot of I'm thinking of the Korean zombie hitting the twister, you know, um, things like that come up quite a bit. And I think more and more because it's been over 25 years now. Um, fans are starting to appreciate i think that we should have but a submission is in many ways more exciting than a knockout now i know certain knockouts tend to like the ben Askren knockout flying knee knockout stuff like that but i think there's more excitement in submissions because there's more technique you know you leave your chin up you get clipped that's going to happen most of the time right but submissions can be more um artistic and speaking of that um when Traditionally speaking, when someone is a brown belt in jujitsu, the, the point is for them to stay in that brown belt level until they kind of develop their own style or their, kind of their own flair. And so since you've been in brown belt for obviously eight years and you've mentioned that that's long overdue for a black belt, um, what in jujitsu world, what type of style have you developed um, as a brown belt sort of building up to your own unique style for black belt? Uh, I like to say my style is like Khabib and Damian Maya put together. Khabib's got a heavy wrestling game, and he likes to ground and pound, but Damian Maya likes to take it to the ground and get the submission. I have a heavy wrestling mm -hmm. game, and I have a slick submission game. You put them together, you got Khabib and Damian Maya, or you got the brick, and uh, that's what I like to say, man, and I've also been working on my stand-up at Forza Combat Sports. It's a Muay Thai gym uh, out in Broken Arrow. Uh, I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's just a little town from there. And uh, I have a kickboxing fight where I fought Matt Murphy. And uh, it, it was a heck of a fight, man. And uh, 
if you go and look at it, it's on UFC Fight Pass for XFN. And I dominated the guy. My highlight reel on social media, if, on Facebook, it's got over 22,000 views. And I really shocked a lot of people with that fight. And uh, I, I fought in kickboxing. I fought in boxing. I fought in Muay Thai. Um, those fights really ain't out there. But I've went to a decision with all of them. So my stand-up's no joke. But uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And uh, that's why most of the time I take them to the ground and we choke them out, baby. Well, absolutely. And you mentioning Damian Maya and Habib, um, those are two of the absolute best. I mean, the records stand for themselves. And I would say um, not, not, nothing to take away from Habib, obviously undefeated, trying to finish his career out 30-0 and 0, undefeated. But in many ways, I would say Damian Maya has more of a storied career in the UFC, being such a great submission guy, even more um, impressive in some ways among jiu-jitsu. Now, you've mentioned jiu-jitsu and striking, so I'm sure you've heard the classic cliche, um, you know, in jiu-jitsu, they're a black belt until you punch them in the face, then they're a white belt, right? So what, what level, like, what have you found successful with striking that makes your jiu-jitsu better? I think a lot of times people point out how striking can make jiu-jitsu worse, but how can, how can your striking make your jiu-jitsu more dangerous? It's just if you're comfortable everywhere, man, and that's where I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable everywhere, but I also know where I want to be. Uh, I've had a fight where one guy uh, was dominating me in round two. He threw over 80 punches while I was on my back. I threw a head kick. I fell down. He got on top of me, kept punching me and elbowing me. I was getting tired, uh, but my brown belt never went nowhere. And he was a black belt in jiu-jitsu. His name's Jameson Saudito. And uh, he kept hitting me and kept hitting me, but I kept letting the ref know I was okay. That's also on UFC Fight Pass. And about a minute left in round two, uh, I reversed the position. I got on top, and I locked up the Von Flick, and we tapped him out in round two. And uh, it, it was a big fight. It really showed me my worth and uh, what I can do and uh, how tough I am and how big my heart was. And uh, it was an amazing fight, one of my favorite fights that I have. Uh, it really uh, showed how much I can overcome in the cage, no matter what, when I'm tired and uh, it was amazing. So you can catch that out on UFC Fight Pass as well. And uh, it was for XFN as well. So, and that was at 125 pounds. Yeah, and that's a great example of the, the mental confidence that it takes in fighting. As great as it was for your 38-second win that you just had in July, obviously you want those every day. But it sounds like for you, for your self-confidence and your mindset in a fight, being down big, being in a bad position, taking, like you said, taking a lot of punches and elbows, but keeping yourself safe, telling the ref um, that you're okay, and then reversing it and winning. Um, how valuable do you think that'll be? Because once you win on Dana White, this is what we've seen. Once you win on Dana White, um, because of COVID, the Dana White guys are getting scheduled for fights, you know, almost immediately. And so you could be thrown in to, uh, you know, deeper – you know, uh, deeper territory in the UFC within maybe September or October. So what confidence d did that fight that went from bad to finish really give you if you were to be fighting some of the higher-ranked guys in the UFC in a month? Oh, man, uh, my, it helps out tremendously. My confidence is 
through the roof from all the experience I had. Even the fight with Johnny Bedford, we had a good, good back and forth first round, second round, and in the third round I finished him. Uh, if you look at my LFA record, I'm three and zero in LFA with finishes in the third round, the second round, and the first round. So I've proven that I can finish fights in all rounds and uh, with all type of opponents. I even have a win over C.J. Hamilton, who's fought on the Tuesday Night Contender. Uh, he's fought Casey Kinney. He's fought Jordan Espinosa. And he went to a decision with those guys. I fought him on two weeks' notice, and I choked him out in the second round. So uh, I have amazing uh, uh, amazing opponents that I've fought, and uh, I'm confident that I can finish in every round of any fight. And I'm always going to push the pace to get that finish and do my best to not hit the scorecards. Well, it's just incredible how almost every time you answer a question, you're able to bring up a different opponent with an incredible background and a great pedigree. And I think that really is what your record of so many fights before you made it to the UFC really shows is that you can take a guy and including your opponent. And it's great that he has a six and our record, but you know, your experience against good guys have put you in situations which is just uh, just really incredible. This is a little bit of a, of a geek moment for me, but I wanted to ask you a question now. We're going a couple years ago, but you mentioned about getting finishes, you know, second round, third round, and fir first round. So w what was it like for you when you watched DJ, uh, Mighty Mouse Johnson, score the latest submission ever in a fight um, and uh, can you, just because of nerding wise, I want to kind of hear your feedback on watching a guy hit a submission that hadn't been, I mean, an arm bar has been done before, but not the lift into um, the elevator into the arm bar. So kind of like, what did that inspire in you? What do you remember about seeing that? Just, just another, uh, another guy at that weight class hitting a submission so late in a fight. Oh, it's great, man. It goes to show you that he has no quit that, uh, He's always looking for the finish as well. And no matter what, if you hear that 10-second bell in the last and final round, don't give up, man. Keep pushing. Try to get that finish because you never know what's going to happen with the scorecards. So uh, I enjoyed Demetrius Johnson. I enjoy watching opponents that finish in the late rounds, finish early. And uh, that's just what the sport is, man. Uh, you never know. And you also could throw in there, Look at the Korean zombie getting mm. caught with that back elbow by Yair right yeah. at the buzzard when he possibly could have won that fight by a decision. Like, there was no quit in Yair. He threw that back elbow that was just out of nowhere. Oh. And he got one of the probably the last second uh, knockout wins, mm -hmm. you know. So it just goes to show you that you can finish even at the last second of any fight. Yeah, that's an incredible fight. I'm a big Korean Zombie fan, so it was a bit of a shock. But on behalf of Korean Zombie, one of the things that it also showed is about six seconds to go. He could have circled off. He could have distanced. But that's not his style either, you know. So I give him credit. Obviously, it ended up with a spectacular finish against him. But he wasn't also um, separating and kind of just waiting out the time. He jumped in for a last exchange and obviously got caught. Um, I'm going to ask you a, a, a UFC-related question. They have announced that the next flyweight belt will be um, – oh, man. Date is Cody it? Garbrandt. Yes, but I forget the current champion's name. I knew 
Um, Damonson, Damonson or Jamin? Figueroa. Figueroa, but I think his first name is. Figueroa, yeah. He's got a hard name to pronounce. but uh, Honestly, I think that was a smart move by the UFC. If you think about it, the flyweight, we just lost Henry Cejudo, which was one of the biggest names. We lost Demetrius Johnson. So we got a new champ from Brazil Mm -hmm. with a hard name to pronounce. But you bring in Cody Garbrandt, which has an amazing big following. Mm-hmm. and uh, is just going to bring a bigger name to the flyweight division. It's going to help make the flyweight division great again. So I okay. love it. I, I really enjoy it. I think it's a great fight. I do not think Cody will win because uh, mm-hmm. I like the other guy better. I think he's going to be more well-rounded. He's been there longer. It's going to be Cody's first fight at flyweight for a title. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it's a smart choice by the UFC, and I think it brings more fans to the flyweight division. Yeah, I think it's really a, a quite a big change for the UFC. They were talking about getting rid of the flyweight, and then they had that uh, rematch with um, Joseph Benavides out there on Fight Island. So they put a lot of effort to get the 125 belt sort of back important and back exciting again, which is just wonderful. I figured I'd ask you a question on uh, UFC related stuff, because obviously you want to get in to the 125 and what we'll do once you win, we'll have you back on the show. And then uh, we can hear all about some of the call outs you want to make in the 125 pound division in the UFC. Cause I'm sure you have your eyes on some guys that you'd love to add to your, to your record list. So um, that's what we'll do afterwards. Keep focused on the on the fight uh, coming up. And where are you taking me currently? Uh, I'm walking through the hotel. I've been doing my laundry, so I'm walking down to oh, the this laundry. This is great. You're giving me a tour. This is wonderful. Well, I don't need to, I don't want to keep you on when you're doing your laundry. Let's go. Uh, let's go to your fight prediction, your thank yous, and your last and your last words as we wrap up here. Um. My fight prediction is uh, I get a finish. That's what I always predict. I don't care how I finish, but I love to finish fights. Uh, That's always my game plan, especially fighting in front of Dana White. There would be nothing more better to do than to go out there and get a finish. Um, I just want to say thanks to all my sponsors for the support. Uh, I have a lot of sponsors. They know who they are. I appreciate all of them. I can't thank them enough. And, uh, if you could follow me on Jimmy the Brick Flick, my fan page, I'd really appreciate it. My personal Facebook page, Jimmy Flick, uh, has too many friends. I, I can't add no more people. So I'm trying to send people over to Jimmy the Brick Flick, my fan page. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Flick and at Instagram at the underscore brick underscore MMA. Well, I wish you the best. I'm sure everybody listening to this interview and all your fans can't wait to see Jimmy the Brick Flick in action. Uh, Dana White, Contender Series, thanks so much for coming on. Hi, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you.